Hey, this is Adam Penapinto. I'm the pastor here at Hope Covenant Church, and I'm so glad that you're joining with us today. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a part of our Hope Covenant Church family, we would love to connect with you via social media on all social media outlets or on our website, hopecovenant.cc. I hope this word encourages, inspires, and challenges you in your daily walk with God as we dig deeper into his word. Let's jump right into today's message. Well, I want to share with you some thoughts around this subject, placed on hold. We're going to look at Acts chapter 7 in a few moments. Acts chapter 7. If you want to go there in your Bible or your device, we're going to get there in a few moments. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture. Uh, The number 40 is a very significant number. I, and I, I'll just share some things with you that might just ooh and all your friends as it relates to trivia. First of all, the number 40 is the only number when you spell it out, it's in alphabetical order. And everybody said, ooh, yeah, isn't that amazing? There are 40 spaces on a Monopoly board. And everybody said, oh, yeah, that's something. <laughs> Minus 40 or negative 40 degrees or 40 below is the only temperature that is the same in both Fahrenheit and Celsius. Yeah. Wow. It just came to blow your mind today. We say that a pregnancy pregnancy lasts nine months. I don't know why we say that because it's really 10 months or 40 weeks. Uh, The standard work week in America is 40 hours. It took chemists 40 attempts to develop the magical spray that we know as, wait for it, the anticipation is killing you. WD-40, water displacement, 40, 40 attempts it took for them to do that. Just a little trivia for you that'll... Wow, your friends. But the number is also significant in Scripture. It's mentioned over 150 times in the Bible, and it generally signifies three things. If you're following along on the notes or if you're taking notes, it signifies three things. Number one, testing. Number two, trials. And number three, triumphs. Let's look at a few examples. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before entering the promised land, and they experienced many tests and trials before they had the triumph of conquering Jericho and moving into the promised land. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus fasted for 40 days before going to the cross. And during that time, he was tempted and tested and tried, but then he triumphed over the enemy and he triumphed over the grave. And if you're thankful for that, say amen. Amen. Moses fasted 40 days and nights on Mount Sinai. And while meeting with God, the people below were selling out to false idols into sexual immorality and perversion. And they doubted Moses' leadership. In Genesis chapter 7, God flooded the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the well-known story of a young shepherd boy named David who walks out into a battlefield after a 9-foot, 9-inch tall giant by the name of Goliath had mocked Israel and mocked God for 40 days. 
before David stepped up and defeated him. And might I just say that there is still very prevalent in our culture and our society a Goliath spirit that mocks the one true God. And can I just tell you as believers, there, there is a mentality in the church today that somehow we should just sit down and have coffee with Goliath or have him over for dinner. And I believe that in dealing with this Goliath spirit that wants to destroy life and destroy the covenant of God and mock our God, that we have to take him down and take him out. We don't negotiate with Goliath. We don't have coffee with Goliath. Jonah chapter 3, uh, God gave Nineveh 40 days to repent. Significant in Scripture, the number 40, testing and trials and triumphs. But there's, there's another word that I want us to take a look at that's also very significant. It's a word that we don't particularly uh, snuggle up to. It's not a word that we typically embrace. In fact, a lot of believers view it as a, uh, as a, a, a four-letter word, as profanity, as one to be avoided, and as the word wait, W-A-I-T. And I'll make a connection between 40 and the word wait in a moment. The word wait is found over 100 times in the Bible. And it's very important, but it's an often neglected and resisted discipline in the Christian life. But there are great rewards when we learn to wait on God. Isaiah 40 says our strength will be renewed. Now the Bible says promises are fulfilled when we learn to wait on the Lord. Our character is developed. We see the goodness of God like we sang about a few moments ago. Our faith is deepened. He fights for us when we wait on the Lord. Those seasons where we're not called to sling one stone or fire one shot. We're just simply called to wait on the Lord. And it's in that process of waiting that God is able to do what we cannot do. His plans unfold when we learn to wait on the Lord. I don't know about you, that's a, that's a tough thing for me to do, waiting. I, I suffer from a little bit of ADD, and I'm an ambitious person, and uh, typically a very energetic person, and waiting drives me up the wall, to be honest with you, just having to sit and wait. And, you know, we're so spoiled in our society and in our culture. If we go through a drive through and we have to wait longer than three minutes, we think we have suffered persecution for the cause of Christ. Right? Like three minutes we think is so long because we're, we're having to wait. Drives me crazy when you make a phone call. And uh, you get a computer, and then you press buttons, and then you're placed on hold. For those of you that are part of Gen Z, it's the same as being left on red. <laughs> I know you don't make a lot of phone calls. Maybe you've never been placed on hold, but it's the same thing. We don't like to be placed on hold, especially when it goes on and on and on and on. But we're going to look at a story from Acts chapter 7 of when Moses was placed on hold. Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 23. How many of you are there? Say, I'm there. 
Acts chapter 7. Come on, do you love the Word? Yeah. Are you grateful for the Word? Yes. There's only two things in society that do not change. Everything changes. Everything is changing constantly around us. Two things that never change, the man Jesus and the Word of God. And you can anchor your life. In fact, I encourage you, I plead with you, I admonish you, I beg you, and any other word you want to throw in there uh, that, would, uh, uh, that would exemplify coercion or, or, or whatever it might be, to anchor your life to the Word of God, anchor your life to the man Jesus, because those two things will never change. Right. Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 23, it says this. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. And he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense, and he avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. That's significant. And the next day he visited them again. And he saw two men of Israel fighting, and he tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard that, he fled the country, and he lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There's two sons were born. Forty years later, very significant. In the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. You're probably familiar with that story. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I'm sending you back to Egypt. Sending you back to Egypt. And so God sent back the same man. So important. So significant. The same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Through the angel uh, who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 days. Come on, let's pray. Father, give us revelation, knowledge, and understanding. Help us today to anchor our life to the principles and the unchanging truths of your word. And Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to make known to us the deep truths of the Word of God and the heart of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Moses' life of 120 years can really be categorized and grouped into three different seasons of 40 years each. The first one being royalty in the palace of Pharaoh, the second being as a shepherd in the wilderness of Midian. 
First 40 years in the palace, second 40 years on the backside of a desert working for his father-in-law in Midian, and the third group of 40 years, equaling 120 years, as the leader of the Israelites. And his first 40 years were a pretty easy ride. They were a luxurious life that he spent in the palace of Pharaoh. And his life was spared at birth. You know the story. There was an edict that was handed down by Pharaoh to kill every Israelite baby by throwing them into the Nile River. But when he was born, Exodus chapter 2 verse 2 says that his mother recognized that he was special and so she hid him for three months. I want you to understand something and this is difficult for some of us and troubling for some of us, but there are times when God will hide you in order to preserve you. And it's often in those moments that God hides us that we derail, that we begin to question the very thing we sung about a few moments ago, and that is the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But here's a mother that recognized there's a purpose, there's a calling, there's a destiny on this baby. And so she makes a basket, and she lines it with tar to waterproof it. And then in an act of great faith, she puts that three-month-old baby in the basket and floats him down the Nile River. Watch. The very thing that the enemy intended for his destruction became his deliverance. You see, the Nile River was meant to destroy him. It was actually the thing that delivered him. How many of you are so thankful that God can take the plans of the enemy and foil those plans and expose those plans and use those very things that the enemy intends to destroy us, to deliver us into our purpose and into our destiny? When the enemy tried to take you out, God preserved you. You see, the divorce or the addiction or the rejection or the crisis that the enemy thought would be the end of you was actually the very thing that prepared you for your assignment and for your destiny. And God was preparing Moses, had a purpose, a, an assignment for him. He had a destiny for him. And even Moses did not realize in those first 40, first 40 years that he had been appointed and anointed. He just thought he was living his best life now and that the reality was that, that God was preparing him to be the deliverer of Israel. He didn't know that. It's interesting that the one who had been delivered from death would be the one who one day would deliver God's people from bondage and death. In Acts chapter 7, now, Moses, we just read, he's 40 years old. And he visits his people, and he sees an Egyptian fighting with an Israelite. And so he intervenes, and he comes to the aid of the Israelite because that's his people. Like, that's my crew. That's my, that's my tribe. That's my family. I, I've been raised in Egypt, but uh, that's still my bloodline is the Israelites. And so when he sees an Israelite being mistreated, he, he intervenes there, and he steps in to bring protection to the Israelite. And he kills the Egyptian. It's interesting because the next day he sees two Israelites fighting. And, and, and he does the same thing he had done the day before, but with different results. 
right? The day before he brought protection to the Israelite, and now he's just trying to bring peace to two Israelites who are fighting, and he intervenes, or he tries to intervene, and he separates them. Hey, 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 guys, don't do this. Like we're family. You can't be arguing with each other, and he pushes them apart, and then all of a sudden one of them just shoves Moses in the chest. And he says, I don't know who you think you are. Like, who made you ruler and judge over us? What makes you think you can make peace for us? And then he says, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? You say, Moses had no idea that there were eyewitnesses to his murder, and he becomes very scared. And so he leaves, and he goes to the backside of the desert, and he begins hiding there. Verse 26 and 27, we read in verse 29, when he heard that, heard the man say, are you going to kill me? He fled and he lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. Listen, this is important. You need to understand that when he sees the two Israelites fighting each other, and when he tries to intervene, he was in that moment, the deliverer of Israel. He had the anointing, he had the calling, he had the destiny, he had the assignment, he was the right man in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right man, right calling, right anointing, wrong place, wrong time. God was placing him on hold. God was uh, pushing him to the back burner or the backside of the desert for a season. He was trying to function in his calling, but in the wrong place at the wrong time. God had not yet commissioned him for his assignment, but he's being commissioned by God for something different. And this is where it gets tough for us. This is where oftentimes we have a crisis of faith. It's when God says, I'm commissioning you, but I'm commissioning you into a season of waiting. Come on, be honest. Anybody ever struggle with that before? Where we feel the anointing of God. We understand the calling of God. For the first time in 40 years, all of a sudden, it was like revelation, like light bulbs went off in Moses' head. And he said, man, like I, I'm supposed to intervene. I'm supposed to protect. I'm supposed to do something. But he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And God says, no, it's not time yet. I'm not commissioning you to this. I'm commissioning you into a season of waiting. And I know in my life, there have been times that God's done that very thing. I knew I was called. I knew I was anointed. And God said, son, you are called. There's an anointing on you. I've appointed you. But instead of commissioning you into that, I'm commissioning you into a season of waiting. Because it's not the right time. You're not in the right place. So the next 40 years of his life would be spent in the wilderness as a shepherd. Watch. He went from the lap of luxury to the laboratory of learning. And it's in those moments, and I know this has been true for me, and maybe it's true for somebody today, that it's in those times, in those seasons of waiting, in those times that we've been placed on hold, that the enemy will try to cause us to question our calling and question our anointing and question the assignment from God during those seasons. Maybe it's just me. 
But in those times that God has placed me on hold, it's made me wonder, did I miss God? Did I not really hear from God? Did God change his mind? Am I not the right guy? Do I not really have the anointing that I thought I had to do what I thought I was going to do? And the enemy loves to derail men and women of God who have been anointed and appointed for such a time as this, for a calling, for an assignment, for a destiny. He loves for you to question that so that you will never get to the place that you fulfill what you're called to do. Cause you to question the goodness of God. Did I just miss God? Like, it feels like when we're placed on hold, nothing is happening. There's no progress. Like being in the waiting room at a doctor's office. It's like I'm just, I'm just waiting. Like, I know if I go through that door, stuff's going to happen, but I can't go through that door until they call for me. And so I'm just here. I'm just waiting. And it's so hard for us to wait. We think it's a waste of time. We think we're, we're just being unproductive. Somehow we've missed our assignment. There's greatness in you, but other people don't recognize it. You're called by God, but others mock you. You try to operate in your anointing, and you're met with rejection. And it's often in that moment that people will quit. Listen to me. God's timing is everything. Learning to wait until he releases you into your calling, into your assignment, is crucial not only for you, but it's so crucial for all of those that are going to be impacted by the anointing and the assignment of God on your life. And if you derail in those seasons of waiting, if you grow frustrated, if you question the goodness of God, and if the enemy wins and takes you out in that moment, all of the people that are waiting on you to step into your assignment, to step into your destiny, are going to miss out on what God ordained for you to do, what God ordained for you to bring to them, what God ordained for you to carry out in delivering those people from bondage, bringing freedom to those people. What I'm saying to you today is that there's way too much at stake for us to allow the enemy to win in those seasons of waiting. Watch. Verse 30 now. Acts chapter 7. Forty years later. Remember? Forty years in the palace. He tries to intervene with the Israelites. They shove him in the chest. Whoever made you ruler and judge over us. He goes 40 years on the backside of the wilderness. And I would imagine we, we can maybe read into some of what's going on, but day after day after day, month after month, year after year, I would imagine Moses, who was anointed, he was appointed. He was the right guy. When he was 40 years old and he tried to intervene, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I would imagine that day after day, as he just hears the annoying sound of the bleeding of sheep, as he's out there in isolation on the backside of a desert, working for his father-in-law, that he probably had some mental battles he had to fight. Of going, did I miss God? 
what happened. I, I, I was living my best life, and now look where I'm at. Look what I'm doing. I'm a nobody. I have no purpose. I have no meaning in my life. Can this be all that there is for me? Come on, anybody ever wondered that in your own life? You ever questioned that and said, God, is this all there is for me? God, is this it? I have a feeling somebody's there today. God, is this it? The Bible says in verse 30, 40 years later in the desert, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard the groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I'm sending you back to Egypt. We read this a moment ago. It says this. I think this is so amazing. So God sent back the same man. Same man. What's well, different? Same guy. Same anointing. Same assignment. Same calling. But now, it's going to be the right place at the right time. Timing is everything. Being willing to wait on the Lord until God says, now it's time. He's commissioning you into a season of waiting and you think no progress is being made. I miss God. I'm never going to be able to fulfill the dream that God put inside of my heart. And if you'll just be patient to wait on the Lord, the promises are going to be fulfilled. Your strength is going to be renewed. You're going to see the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And he sends back the same man that his people had previously rejected when they demanded, who made you a ruler and a judge? over us he stands before Pharaoh now same guy same anointing same calling same guy got a few more wrinkles probably lost a little more hair he's the same guy 40 years later standing in front of Pharaoh and now he's saying let my people go and now it's the timing of God now he's in the right place at the right time. Let me tell you something today. I just came to tell you this. Four words. Five words. It is worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I pray for the people of Hope Covenant today, especially those who feel discarded, those who feel like they've been shelved, those who feel overlooked, those who feel forgotten by God. I pray for those this morning, God, who have a, an assignment that they know is from God, a calling. Maybe it happened years ago when they were a child. Maybe it was at a youth camp when they were a teenager. Maybe it was laying on their bed in their bedroom. And they knew, God, you were calling them to a certain thing in business. You were calling them to a certain thing in ministry. And now, God, they find themselves in a place where they question your goodness, question whether or not they really heard from you. God, I believe you brought me here to remind them it's worth the wait. We cannot afford to allow the enemy to win by causing us to derail in these moments where we've been placed on hold.
I pray, God, that they would just faithfully walk out every day until you commission them into the right place, the right season, and the right time. God, I rebuke every lie of the enemy. I take authority over those things, God, that the enemy would try to use to cause them to question their calling and their anointing, their purpose, or to even question who you are. I come against that in the name of Jesus, and I pray today, God, that those who are struggling in this area because they feel like you have just pushed them to the back burner and forgotten about them. They're on the backside of a desert. God, let today be a day that their strength is renewed, their hope is restored, and they understand that there will come a moment that you say, now's the time. God, encourage your people today in that. I just want to ask before I turn it back over to Pastor Adam, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed just for a moment. But there may be someone here today who would say, you know what? I showed up today, didn't understand why really, but I know this was a message for me. I've been struggling in this area and God is speaking to me right now and I want you to pray for me. I just want to agree with you in prayer. If that's you, all I'm going to ask you to do is just slip your hand up just real quick. Yep, just put it up real quick. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, you feel overlooked, feel discarded, have questioned, did I hear from God? Is that still my assignment? Anybody else? Just lift it up high. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Lord, for these who have lifted their hand, I pray right now grace to be upon them. God, that they would hear the truth being spoken over them and every lie, every accusation, every voice that opposes the truth of your word would be silenced in their minds right now in the name of Jesus and they would know God you have a purpose and you have a plan in the name of Jesus I pray thank you God if you enjoyed today's message I want to encourage you to like it and share it on social media or jump onto our website hopecovenant.cc and click on our giving link and help us continue to share the message of Jesus across the world God bless you and have an awesome week